So I was just thinking about all the differences. The first being, so in-person conferences, I have to think a lot about what am I going to wear because I want to look nice, but I also want to be comfortable. And in a virtual setting, it's a little bit less so. Like I don't have to wear, you know, pants if I don't want to. <laughs> I mean, should I? Yeah, yeah probably. Um, but on the flip side of things, when we're doing virtual conferences, technology can fail. Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode cloud servers. Head to Linode.com slash Changelog. This episode is brought to you by Rollbar. Move fast and fix things. Resolve errors in minutes and deploy with confidence. Head to Rollbar.com slash Changelog. Request a demo. Get started today. It's loved by developers, trusted by enterprises, and most of all, we use it here at Changelog. Move fast and fix things with Rollbar. Once again, rollbar.com slash changelog. Welcome to JS Party, your weekly celebration of JavaScript and the web. Thank you for all the awesome feedback on our JS Danger episode. More like that coming soon. Speaking of coming soon, next week, Faraz is back and he joins Emma for an awesome interview with Chakra UI creator Shagun Adebayo. It's inspiring. It's informative. You don't want to miss it. So subscribe now before you forget. Okay, take it away, ladies. Welcome to JS Party. <laughs> I'm Emma Bastian, and today I'm joined by two other wonderful lady panelists, Divya and Suze. Hello. Hello. I think, is this the first all-lady JS Party podcast we've had? Probably. I think so. I'm very excited about this, actually. Me as well. Very excited. So today we're going to talk about conferences and specifically virtual conferences because given everything happening with COVID-19, we've kind of switched into virtual conferences as a, as a not last resort, as a new resort, but I don't think it's a bad thing. And I'm excited to talk about the benefits and drawbacks of virtual conferences today. So have either of you had experiences with a virtual conference yet? Yeah, so I spoke at a virtual conference last week called Live Coders Conf, and I think that we were a little better positioned to do it because it was essentially a bunch of live streaming coders who came together to give one talk each. And so the whole thing was run by live streamers. The speakers were live streamers, the MCs were live streamers. So we got really lucky, but we just wanted to give people a chance to learn development if they weren't able to travel to be in person for their regular conferences, you know, as a lot of people get to do every year. Yeah, I've done one virtual conference so far. Well, actually two. I did NGConf, which is virtual. And that was like a very long virtual conference. I think NGConf goes for like a week. And then I did Perf Matters as well, which is a two-day conference. And that was virtual. And I think they had different ways of doing it. NGConf had some people do live talks and then some of them were recorded, which was interesting. And then Perf Matters had the same thing where people could choose between whether they wanted to record it before or do it live. And I think that was to accommodate for if you have like children or 
if you have a situation that makes it hard for you to do live video while at home, then it gives you the option of just recording it when you have a quiet moment and then still being a part of the conference as well. Yeah, there's much more flexibility when it comes to virtual conferences. And kind of seeing what's happening on Twitter, people discussing virtual conferences, what I failed to realize is that some people actually find presenting virtually a lot more difficult. I would say myself included, but I have the added benefit of having worked on meeting software professionally for two years. So I was very, very used to using GoToMeeting and presenting over virtual meetings. So I didn't have to think about that aspect of it. But I think the weirdest thing for me when I spoke at Lockdown Conf yesterday, uh, which was hosted by Free Code Camp and Quincy Larson, the weirdest thing in those instances is you can't gauge reactions of people. So if you are trying to be funny or you have like little jokes interspersed, you can't actually get a reaction out of people. And so you kind of feel weird. <laughs> uh, I don't like that. I totally agree. I have a weird sort of deadpan sense of humor. And also a lot of the time I'm giving talks to an American audience and I'm Australian. And so, you know, we all have sort of slightly different cultural ideas of humor. And so I usually use that to gauge like, okay, can I continue to make these jokes or do people even find me funny? You know, so you kind of tend to, I didn't realize that I adjust my patter and I adjust my talk as I go along because I'm feeding back from that body language and the audible laughter from the audience. So I think that you've really hit on a really good point there. I enjoy presenting virtually far less than presenting in person as a result because I want to do such a good job, but it's very hard to tell if you're doing a good job. Yeah, I think oftentimes with conferences, especially, I mean, this is a very interesting situation because I've done virtual conferences that were not during COVID-19. So like Concatenate Conf is a virtual conference and they did it last year and the year before. And that was purely like when you could still do physical conferences. And so they built it with virtual in mind. And so they had a live feed of the audience. And so you could see people like it wasn't the same as being physically there, but you could sort of gauge reactions and get a sense of how people were perceiving the talk. I think the interesting thing with the current situation is a lot of conferences were built to be physical and then they were forced to become virtual just as a way to keep like ticket sales and maintain just basically to keep the conference organizers afloat a little, um, mm -hmm. which sometimes meant that you kind of got a bit of a loss in terms of from, from the speaker's perspective, also from the participants, because you don't get as much engagement as if you were in person. And I think also the, the other assumption I find organizers sometimes making is that you want speakers to be the same speakers to be on the agenda but oftentimes it's just really hard to be like, I was supposed to physically be there, but I have to do it virtually because it feels like to me, it's a lot more work to give a talk virtually, even though I have given that talk before, just because for me, it's a matter of like Suze was mentioning, I gain a lot from being in front of an audience because it's the similar thing of just understanding where people are at. Because sometimes you talk about a concept and you might talk about it at a high level and people might give you blank stares or they might look confused and you might want to elaborate more on that. And if you don't have that feedback, it's really hard for you to gauge whether or not things are landing, like jokes are landing, whether concepts are landing. And so that's something I feel like you miss a lot of from just like moving from like physical to virtual conferences without thinking about the impact that that might have. 
Yeah, and I mean, so I was just thinking about all the differences. The first being, so in-person conferences, I have to think a lot about what am I going to wear because I want to look nice, but I also want to be comfortable. And in a virtual setting, it's a little bit less so. Like I don't have to wear, you know, pants if I don't want to. <laughs> I mean, should I? Yeah, yeah probably. Um, but on the on the flip side of things, when we're doing virtual conferences – technology can fail. And so my conference mm -hmm. talks, the one I was prepared to do this year was all live coding. Well, when internet is a little bit sketchy, sometimes you can't rely on live coding being a great way to present your topic because mm -hmm. as you're typing, there's such a lag potentially. And so at that point now I have to go make code snippets for, for every step of the way and put that in the slides. And so you're right, it is a lot more work to present at a virtual conference. But then I think additionally, you know, this community aspect, and we'll talk about this in the next segment, the benefits and drawbacks of virtual conferences, but you're not getting FaceTime with the participants. And that's you know, as an attendee of a conference, it's a little bit harder, like unless you're setting up Discord chats or Slack channels for your conference mm -hmm. attendees, like how do I actually engage with the speakers? Yeah, I think that that is hitting the nail on the head of what feels missing, even if you backfill all of the other things, which is that connection. I didn't realize that a lot of my experiences, both as an attendee and as a speaker at a conference is connection, finding people who are like-minded with you, having that one little, you know, it's always the cliche, the, the hallway track, which I actually mostly hate the hallway track because I'm so introverted. But when you have that one little magical conversation with somebody that can just give you either, you know, the motivation to keep staying in this tech industry, or it gives you a little thread to research for a personal project or something like that. And that, dare I say it, serendipity is just like not there as much. And so I think that talking about having that Slack channel or some kind of chat channel, I think is incredibly important to keeping that going, especially when a speaker is giving a talk. And so I think it's really weird to think about it in this way. But generally, when you give a talk in person, people are very quiet and they listen. But if you're giving a talk virtually, you have an opportunity to open up a chat and actually be looking at that while you're presenting. And if something's not clear, you can actually kind of end up editing your talk as you go along. And so even though you don't have body language, if you have the chat, you can actually kind of turn the talk into something if you're confident. You can turn it into something that the attendees who are there at that time actually want and need. And I think that's actually a really interesting concept too. Um, so I think that the tech that the conference provides is really important to guaranteeing a good connection with the speaker. I think one thing that I want to see more of is, or just, I don't think it's a solved problem in terms of emulating the hallway tracks online. So for instance, like you use the, the term serendipity and I think it's like cliche, but it's also a very good term to describe it because there are often times when I have conversations with people that I didn't think I would have talked to them. So you just <laughs> happen to be there and then yeah. happen to start talking to someone or someone starts talking to you. And then you just realize like, oh, I'm really glad I had that conversation. And I find it really hard to replicate that online because on Slack, it just feels very, it's synchronous, but it feels asynchronous. Like I can just walk away mm -hmm. from it if I want to. And so the level of connection is really different because it's just... Like I'm fairly introverted, but I prefer physical communication than virtual just because virtual drains me a lot more that because I, I feel the need to always be available and just like answer mm -hmm. immediately versus organically answering things and having like tone and context add into that and body language. And so 
it's something I think about because I think I've seen conferences try to do this with, so Perf Matters did this where they tried to do topic tables. So they would have Google Hangouts, like different Google Hangouts in between talks. So in between sections of the conference where they encourage attendees to join a hangout to sort of just like meet other attendees and get to know people and talk about various things. But the interesting thing is, I think I was talking to Estelle about this because she really wanted to foster that community that conferences tend to have. But the issue with doing a hangout, like a virtual hangout versus an in-person one is that it's way more intimidating. Like I felt so, <laughs> I was a speaker and I just felt really awkward just joining like a Zoom hangout just <laughs> because I was like, it's so intrusive to just be like, let me just join this hangout because people are talking in there, but I have no context on who's in there, what they're talking about at that point in time versus like, yeah, because when you're at a conference, you can just like saunter up and awkwardly like edge yourself into yeah, do the Pac-Man thing. Yeah. How do you do a yeah. Pac-Man in a Zoom meeting? I have no idea. <laughs> it's almost like I just want to peek in it rather than just like appear into the hangout. I'm like, is there a way to just draw the curtains and like kind of spy in terms of what people are saying, who's in it and then choose to join it? I don't know. Yeah. And I think, you know, just kind of as a last note before we take a break and, and move into the benefits and drawbacks of virtual conferences, people have families did you know that and when it comes to families and cats specifically because I don't have children they can cause chaos in the backgrounds of things and it's a lot harder for me personally to to be professional when my cats are running laps around my house and so having this you know virtual conference in my home it's harder to a separate work-life balance but also like mitigate these distractions so that was just one thing. And Divya, your point about like virtual hangouts, the best part about meeting people in person or like these big group chats in person is you can kind of find the people that you you jive with pretty easily, but like mm-hmm. it's easier to escape. I, I don't like saying that because it sounds mean. <laughs> I'm not escape, but like it's easier for you to like seek out the conversations that are really worth like that just work for you and it's not too much effort. Um, not to say you should ever avoid people who are wanting to talk to you, but like, you know, you always meet some people and you just hit it off with them. But in a virtual setting, everyone's talking over each other. And like, sometimes you're just like mm-hmm. not invested in the conversation. So it's just a little bit harder. But in any case, virtual conferences, I think have a lot of benefits. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But first, let's take a break. And when we come back, we have a special guest that we would like to introduce to all of you. Big news, nerds. Gatsby's highly anticipated incremental builds are here. If you're already deploying with Gatsby Cloud, you've been enjoying builds up to 20 times faster than other solutions. With incremental builds, that number moves two orders of magnitude. We're not talking 50 times faster. We're not talking 100 times faster. Not even 500 times faster. After years of invested engineering and months of testing, the Gatsby team has been able to perform builds. Are you ready for it? up to 1,000 times faster. That is an average build time of less than 10 seconds. This is the feature we've all been waiting for and there's never been a better time to try Gatsby Cloud. The best part is it's 100% free to get started so you can put away your credit card, you're not gonna need it. Go to gatsbyjs.com changelog to get started. Once again, that's gatsbyjs.com changelog. Okay, so welcome back. 
We just had our first segment where we talked a little bit about how virtual conferences differ from these kind of brick and mortar conferences. But I'm excited because we are joined by a special guest, Quincy Larson, who you founded Free Code Camp, right? That's like your official title. Why don't you introduce yourself so I'm not speaking hey. for you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm Quincy, Quincy Larson. Uh, yeah, I, my title is teacher at Free Code Camp. I'm also the executive director of our nonprofit. And yeah, I founded Free Code Camp. Nice, nice. We're super excited to have you on today because yes, was it just yesterday that we did Lockdown Conf? It may seem like yesterday. Hopefully, you got plenty of sleep afterward because that was a lot of work. But yeah, it was <laughs> Tuesday. So I think we're recording this on Thursday. I don't know what day it is. Yes, <laughs> days are hard now. So can you tell us a little bit about Lockdown Conf? What was the inspiration? And I'm also, I, I have this tendency to ask like multiple questions back to back that are not <laughs> the same questions. So I guess my biggest question is, was this originally an in-person conference or is this something that you created to spawn out of this COVID-19 pandemic? So a lot of our team members and uh, friends are in India and India went into full lockdown for 21 days. Like the government just mandated, Hey, everybody, you need a shelter in place. 1.2, 1.3, 1.4 billion people. I don't even know what the current population is, but it, it was like the biggest mandatory lockdown probably in history. And that really got us thinking like, wow, like there are a lot of people who are probably very rapidly having to cope with that. Also here in the U S of course, uh, different states have differing degrees. I've been in, you know, self-quarantine or uh, social distancing for like a month and a half. My wife's Chinese, and we suspected that it would be a huge thing when this pandemic eventually reached the states. So we have been like just hanging out in our house with our kids, and we're very fortunate we're in a situation where we can do that. But I was talking with Fazol, the co-founder of Hashnode.com, and he and I were just like, we should do something like we should organize some sort of event. So within about 10, 12 days, the entire thing came together. And I really appreciate you, Emma, for just responding so quickly to like within, I think, like less than a day, you got back to me and you said you'd be interested in being on one of the panels. So yeah. it was because of responsiveness of people like you that we were able to pull all this together so quickly. Yeah, thank you. I remember I woke up and it was like 6am and I was like, Oh my god, Quincy messaged me. I was so excited. Um, so thank <laughs> you for having me. I think it was an absolute bless. And I also think it was very successful just to hear these diverse viewpoints from people all over the world. So, you know, we kind of touched on some of the benefits and drawbacks of virtual conferences. But I would love to hear from you, Quincy, as a conference organizer, what were some of the benefits and drawbacks in your opinion of hosting a virtual conference? Well, the first thing is the asynchronous part. People who can't make it for whatever reason are able to just watch the feedback, like essentially the uh, video on demand of the, the live stream. And that way they can double speed it. They can uh, pause it if they need to take care of something and come right back and they don't have to miss anything. They can rewatch parts of it. If they're a non-native English speaker, it, it gives a lot of flexibility there. And it just, uh, the fact that it's remote means before, if you have a conference, let's say you have a conference in like New York City, you've got everybody has to fly out there. It can be prohibitive for a lot of people to be able to get a visa to attend, or just it costs a lot of money to go to a new city and stay in a hotel and attend a, a conference. And it's also a big time commitment. This was like four hours. It was just a quick chunk of time. So it's not nearly as, like virtual conferences, online conferences are not nearly as fun and exciting as in-person conferences. You're not actually shaking hands or 
getting to hug people or, or high five them or anything like that, that you would be able to do at an in-person conference. There aren't the same kind of like bumping into people and meeting new people and those kind of exciting chance encounters. So there are a lot of advantages. There are also a lot of disadvantages, but this conference didn't really cost us any money to put on. I know from people who have put on big conferences that it is a lot of money. It's a lot of financial risk as well because you have to like book the venue and you have to make sure all the numbers work out. And for example, I have a friend who was planning to have a big React conference that I was scheduled to go to. And of course the pandemic hit and he had to deal with like all the contracts and he had like a clause that would allow him to get out of it and everything. But I don't know how much money he lost. He almost certainly lost a lot of money as a result of that cancellation. So there's a lot of risk associated with in-person real world high fidelity conferences that you don't have with online conferences. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I'm curious, thinking about virtual versus in person, we've touched on some of the things like you're not paying for a venue, you don't need catering, you don't have to worry about what types of dietary restrictions your attendees are going to have. But there are other costs that are now going to be associated with a virtual conference that potentially wouldn't have with an in-person conference. So when you did the lockdown comp, you had really custom like artwork or graphics and music. So, you know, what other costs are associated with virtual conferences that are maybe not associated with in-person conferences? Well, I can say from our experience, we, our budget was literally zero. We spent nothing <laughs> on this conference. And the reason was we were able to use royalty-free music from Bass Rebels, which is a oh. really cool live stream, I think, on YouTube, and they may have it some other places. But it's all music that is uh, either public domain or licensed to where you can play it in the background. And I think some other, like, Suze would probably know a lot more about this than, than I do, but like Monster Cat and uh, some other radio stations, you can play them in the background and they won't get muted and they won't block your video or anything mm-hmm, on mm-hmm. YouTube or Twitch. So... We were able to get music from that, and then we have this gentleman, Matthew Potter, who I met him at a free code camp conference in Toronto. He has volunteered a tremendous amount over the years, and he put together all the graphics, and he's like a designer who can program who also knows a whole bunch of video production stuff. So he was in the control room making sure all the feeds were patched together, and we just used Skype because they have a pretty robust API, and he was able to pull the feeds from Skype and put them into his system and then, you know, have like this fancy kind of UI, I guess, uh, where there were like the little windows with the different people chatting. And then he could do like if one person was talking for a long time, like I am right now, you, you could just pull up like just an image of that person like talking. And then if two people were talking back and forth, you could put like two side by side and hide everybody else. And then you could kind of zoom out and have like all five people, the two MCs and the three panelists on the screen at the same time. So he just did all that stuff. So, I mean, unless you have a friend like Matthew Potter, it may cost (laughs) you some money for those things. But for us, it it costs us $0. And we didn't even have to really moderate the, the chat, which is normally something you have to do because you get a lot of low quality comments and like, Unfortunately, the reality is if, if you have like a woman on the stream, people will always be like, oh, she's pretty and things like that. And you don't mm-hmm. want that kind of stuff. So we didn't have to do that because we had members only chat and people have to pay like $5 or 200 rupees or, you know, different currencies. It's scaled to purchasing power parity. Uh, so that reduced the overhead in terms of the amount of like attention we had to pay to chat and the number of people we had to have moderating. Mm, that's really cool. 
I think that the the kind of era of like live streaming becoming something that everybody's able to do in their home now also offers better software package options for people on a budget as well. And so there, like you said, like Monster Cat and all of that just didn't exist for a while. And so before that, I was trying to go to Bandcamp and looking at every single music artist's license to make sure that I could play it in the background and had to artisanally pick things. And I'm just so stoked that these kinds of demands have actually paved the way for us to be able to do this now. That is one kind of like nice thing that's happened. Definitely. And one of the things you mentioned, Quincy, the power of parity speaking to different currencies, I just had this epiphany that wouldn't it be great if in the future, we could take that in consideration when pricing our conference tickets, like I'm curious if there are any conferences already looking into where our attendees are coming from, and can we reduce costs for people with different currencies? Yeah, well, YouTube does that automatically. Uh, and like for becoming a member on a channel, which was what what you had to do to become to be able to chat, we just set that up because again we wanted to see if we could get some donations. Essentially, the way YouTube works is they keep thirty percent and you keep seventy percent. I think with Twitch it's a fifty fifty split if people like become subscribers on Twitch. So I think some of that may be scaled based on the country. I'm not even sure how popular Twitch is outside of the US, but YouTube is definitely like a global phenomenon. It's by usage, I think it's the number one site in the world right now. I think it's past Facebook. So if you wanted to, there's something called the Big Mac Index, which is the Economist puts it out and every year they take the cost of a Big Mac, which is available in pretty much every country, and they scale it. And they use that to determine, you know, the multiplier that you should put on a price of like an online good if you want people to all be paying about the same thing in their local currency based on their earning power. That's really cool. And for anyone listening, we're going to link all of these resources and conferences down in the show notes for you. So take a look there if if you've heard something that you want to check out. I'm curious. So Suze, you do a lot of live streaming and I want to know if this like, has this prepared you better for performing? That's not the right word for speaking <laughs> at a virtual conference. It is, I mean, it's a performance. Yeah, I think think that's not it a bad is. Word, actually. Never thought about that. Um, do you think that's prepared you better? And then I want to switch to Divya and say, you know, you haven't spoken at a virtual conference yet, but do you think, like, what do you think would be the, the most difficult thing about transitioning into a virtual conference speaker? So we'll start with Suze and then we'll go to Divya. Yeah, I think that it's definitely made it easier. I think the thing that I missed the most was just that live feedback in the chat, which is why I was emphasizing that in the first segment of this um, episode, because I like that real-time feedback. And so for me, I only have one computer monitor. So if I'm presenting slides at a virtual conference, I have to have some kind of other phone or screen open with the chat. And it's just not quite the same experience. So I think it prepared me for knowing that it was going to feel weird talking to yourself, quote unquote. Um, And also just the feeling of isolation, knowing that you can't read people's body language, those kinds of things. It made me aware that it was going to be like a subpar experience compared to in-person performing or speaking for sure. I think that it also just made me more confident because I was like, oh, I'm just presenting slides. This is actually very easy compared to live coding, um, which is what I do most of the time, right? So like having like a set of slides that were actually incredibly predictable and not feeling like I was going to run into a random yak shave um, was also very helpful. Yeah, that's interesting because I find that I've not done live streams before and I always deviate away from live coding as much as possible just because I really hate it. It gives me such anxiety <laughs> just because I'm always like I second guess myself a lot. And so when I'm live coding and I 
get into an error, it's just like going down this rabbit hole. <laughs> it ends up, everything just gets worse over time. <laughs> See, I'm with you there because like, unless it's really yeah. weird, but if you have a good audience who's willing to like play with you in a sense, like they joke around with you, they're willing to help you fix your bugs. I had a, well, in Amsterdam, when we were in Amsterdam, friend and developer love and Vijay's mm-hmm. Amsterdam, um, the crowd was so interactive. But with a virtual conference, if I mess up typing, I can't phone a friend. I end up just like copying and pasting <laughs> the solution from like the master bridge. Yeah. So in general, I mean, this is not just specific to virtual con- In general, I never live code or do anything live just because I know that maybe it's just an exercise in me knowing myself very well, that I know myself very well, that I lack the resilience to recover. (laughs) And so so I I hardly ever do that. I think for virtual conferences, so I've spoken two of them so far. And one of them was an actual live talk where I was on a Zoom call with all the participants and I presented remotely, essentially, which was kind of an eerie feeling because I didn't get any feedback there was no feedback and so it was really hard to get a sense i think also like suze was mentioning in terms of jokes i think my pauses are also determined by how i think things are landing so if people are understanding things should i go faster should i go slower and so it's really hard for me to do that i think when i do things virtually i actually talk much slower (laughs) than i do i go so (laughs) slow and then so that was a strange experience, but it was also just, I think, an exercise in learning to do things with zero feedback. And then another one was where I did ng-conf and I had it recorded. The only reason for that was I did that talk with my coworker, Tara. And so both of us did like a two-person talk and doing that live would have been a nightmare because she was live coding and then I was talking and there's a lot of back and forth. So we ended up recording it and then Adding, like kind of using video software to put the two together. But we had to watch our talk. So we had to be present during our talk. And then we would answer questions as we were speaking. I think there's an interesting dichotomy in terms of what participants expect. So some participants don't like it when talks are recorded because they feel like it's too rehearsed. Mm-hmm. And they find like they're getting a lackluster like experience in a sense. And I sort of got that sense because... When I did the recording, it wasn't clear which was recorded and which wasn't. Unless you had crazy video effects, then it was clear. But in my talk particularly, it wasn't clear that it was recorded. Um, And I was answering questions in the chat. I think that indicated to people that I was. There were some comments, like people were like, whoa, she's like speaking and responding at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Yeah. But in a way, I kind of liked it because it was like maybe... I liked it in the sense that I could actually be present for, to answer those questions while I was giving the talk. And I think if I did more live streaming, I'm sure I'd be more in sync with doing both at the same time, but I'm not. And so it was something that I had to learn and it was really hard for me to do in general. So when I gave my talk live, some people asked questions and I couldn't answer it as I was speaking because I just mentally, when I'm speaking, I just block everything out and then I just talk. I think it also differs based on the type of people. So some people really thrive on being able to like multitask and do everything and others need like kind of a single track focus. And I'm, I'm one of those people. 
Yeah, definitely. Well, first of all, I apologize because I wrongly said that you had never spoken at a virtual conference and that was innately incorrect. So I apologize. It's all good. But you did start to touch on one thing, which is live talks versus recorded talks. And when we come back from our next break and our last break, we will dive a little bit deeper into that as well as Girl Quincy about any lessons learned from planning a conference. Hey friends, got some good news for you. Linode just added a cluster of Linode's S3 compatible object storage to the Frankfurt data center. And celebrating this, they're giving everyone, not just Frankfurt, but everyone three months of free object storage starting today. There's no bill, there's no promo code, there's no redemption process. Sign up, get object stored from Linode, and from March 1st to May 31st, there is no bill, it's too easy. Head to linode.com slash changelog. All right, so we've talked about virtual conferences and how they differ from in-person conferences. We've touched on benefits and drawbacks of virtual conferences and kind of what goes into planning them. But I'm curious, Quincy, what are some lessons that you've learned or things that you would do differently next time around? Well, the biggest thing, in my opinion, is just the technical difficulties and the time scheduling, uh, making sure that everybody knows where they should be, when. And this time, what we did was we did... Uh, an entire day of tech check before. So we had everybody jump in using Skype in the exact place they were going to be used with the headset they were going to be using or the, uh, the microphone and headphones. We did all that stuff. And that addressed so much of the issues that we've had in past virtual conferences. And so when I say virtual conferences, this is the first proper conference we've done that was like specifically going like had conf in the name or con in the name before we did a couple things like two years in a row we did what we called open 2016 and open 2017 which was new year's eve we had like anil dash and jeff atwood and a whole lot of other people onto this kind of new year's celebration slash interview where we talked about our predictions for the following year and technology and everything. We did that. We'd started at like 11 p.m. on the East Coast and we'd end it like right after California celebrated New Year's. And it was just mired in technical difficulties. There was always something like somebody's audio wouldn't be working. We'd have to reconnect them. And we didn't have like a separate kind of, we didn't throw up the slides and say, okay, now we're going to recompose for the next section. And in retrospect, we absolutely should have done that because that works a lot better. But I was the control room. I was using OBS and I was just dialing people in through Google Hangouts while the stream was going. And it was, I always say like, you know, Walmart had that silly looking like happy face logo on their, on their bags for so many years. And they did that because they wanted people to think, oh, Walmart's cheap. You know, they're flying by the seat of their pants. They don't know what they're doing <laughs> because that reinforced that you were getting a good value when you went and shopped there. <laughs> and to some extent, like the fact that like the live streams were so amateurish was part of the charm and that <laughs> like invited people to give you a degree of like leeway like oh you know Quincy's running this from a single laptop with OBS while he's also interviewing people of course it's going to be an amateurish show so if you know you're getting everybody in glitzy suits and you have like all these fancy graphics and all this stuff and, and you're charging like $200 a ticket like those sort of things would not be acceptable and so I think a lot of it comes down to expectation uh, so anchoring the expectation 
right? Under-promising, over-delivering. I can say with pretty good confidence that with uh, Lockdown Conf, I think we did that. It was a free conference, and we had amazing speakers, and, and everything worked really well. So I'd say, like, people probably weren't expecting that degree of polish, and it was a pleasant surprise. So that was one thing I've definitely learned is right-size the expectations of your audience. That's very good advice. Absolutely. And one other thing that, well, I don't know if we've touched on this, but we're going to touch on it now. It doesn't matter. Is this concept of virtual workshops versus talks? Okay. I shouldn't say I've never given a workshop because that's not true, but I've never given a live workshop in person. That's also false. I just did a front end master's course. (laughs) Okay. Let's talk about virtual workshops. Have any of you given a virtual workshop? Let's start with you. Quincy, have you ever spoken at a conference and or given a workshop in person or virtually? So I've I've spoken at some conferences and like given like by workshop, basically I had like slides prepared and it was on a very specific topic trying to teach people about that topic. I've done that a few times, if, mm. if that's what you mean. Yes. It's like a talk, basically. <laughs> it kind of is, yeah. Well, a workshop might be a little bit more complicated, like in, involve multiple back-to-back, like you take a break and you come back and you're still, I guess, I don't know enough to say with confidence that I've given a workshop I may have. I guess, yeah, that's a good question. Like, what is the difference between a workshop and a conference? And I guess my first stab at that would be like a workshop, I think, has maybe more activities than just lecturing. But I don't know, have I, any of you, Suze, Divya, have either of you given a workshop? And if so, like, how would you define the difference? I think a workshop generally, I mean, I usually know it's a workshop because it's like marketed as a workshop. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, you're giving a half day workshop and you're like, okay. I think it's also just in general, when I am giving a workshop, it's one way longer. I've seen people do workshops where it's just like a three hour lecture. And those are, to mm. me, those are not as successful. I mean, I'm sure some people like that, but to me, it's not very successful because I'm like, we're not in college, university, where that is the case, where you go to a capstone and it's like three hours of just like straight talking. But with a workshop, generally, it's there's a lot more feedback that you can get because you can take questions from people, answer questions, dive into specific topics that people have issues with. So there's a lot more interaction because I think with talks, you can sort of do that, but not really. You can do that within a lot of time frame because talks are usually like 30 minutes. The longer ones are like maybe an hour, but with a workshop, it's much longer. And so if you're talking about specific things and you find that many people are having issues with it, you can just choose to be like, okay, we're going to take like the next 30 minutes to talk about this. And there's a lot more exercises as well. So in terms of the back and forth, you get more of that. And so I like it because it allows me to dive much deeper into a topic than I usually can with a talk because talks are just high level. I think to me, when I think about talks and workshops, a talk is to get people excited about an idea or concept. And a workshop is to show the actual like implementation details. How does it work? And like get people to work with the thing that you're talking about. So those are like the two differences between the two Mm -hmm. of them. And so because of that, the approaches of how you do both differ as well. That's very true. That's a really great explanation. And I just one of the to your point about workshops that are essentially just three hour lectures and how difficult those are. Um, we did an episode, I think it was called I do, we do, you do or something along those lines that talks about the different ways that we can teach people. So I do is like I show you something we do is let's do it together. And you do is take those skills and now use them to deduce an answer. 
So if you haven't listened to that episode, go back through the JS Party archives. We'll also link it in the show notes. Um, But that does bring up a a good point that, you know, I would assume a workshop's a little harder to divulge online. Although Egghead is one example of an online platform who's doing virtual workshops. uh, And they seem to be quite successful at it. So I'm curious what the differences would be virtual workshop versus in-person workshop. Uh, That's a whole other topic probably. Mm. But one other area I want to just touch on before we wrap up, and we did already touch on this, is live talks versus recorded talks and the benefits of both and the drawbacks of both. And Divya, you had mentioned that you were in the chat discussing with the participants during your recorded talk, which has benefits and drawbacks. The benefit is you can engage with them in real time as they're seeing it, but the drawback is, oh, it's not like perhaps internally they're thinking, oh, this isn't as personal because she had already recorded this. Did you find that there was any fallout from that with the audience? It's hard to say because I think people are really nice about the talk. Like, so there wasn't a lot of like, I think there were a couple of comments where people were just mentioning that, oh, it's uncanny that she's able to talk and type at the same time. (laughs) But I think in general, people weren't as negative. Like I've seen online on Twitter where people have mentioned that it's like kind of annoying that that happens. It's interesting because I've actually heard conferences try to compensate for that. So for them, they're like, they'll allow speakers to do a recorded talk. But when you do a Q&A after the talk, you have to wear the same clothes that you were in during the recording. <laughs> Just so it's not and distracting, be, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Be like wear the same clothes and be in the same room just so that people don't realize. That's actually really funny. It's hilarious. That's funny, but it's intense. <laughs> I know. It's like, I don't know okay. how to what extent people care, but I guess it's just to prevent that jarring experience of people thinking that it's... Well, you know, what's funny is that Quincy on Tuesday before we started, there was a photo of Quincy and then he joined. He was like, oh, we're in the same shirt. But like it was a different color because he'd washed it maybe a couple of times. So it's like you were wearing the same clothes, but everyone was like, it doesn't look like the same shirt. So like it doesn't really make a difference. Probably not. (laughs) No, probably not. But I'm curious if you had even considered doing this as a recorded conference versus live. Yeah, recorded is so much easier in terms of just like you can get it right and you just record everything and then stitch it together and then ship it. And YouTube has a feature called Premiere uh, where you can, it's mm-hmm. kind of like you have a live audience that everybody's watching at the same time, but it's pre recorded. That is almost the best of both worlds because you can have the polish of pre recorded, but you don't have to worry about the uh, vagaries of trying to remember exactly what you're going to say, stumbling over your words or having tef- technical difficulties. So that's probably what I would recommend for people who don't want to do live streaming. And live coding is, there, if there's a hierarchy of hard things to do <laughs> on the web, live coding is probably at the very top. And you know, hats off to Suze and everybody out there who's in the arena doing the live coding. It's really impressive. Uh, I haven't done any in a while just because I'm worried that if I like make some really bad like coding mistakes, it's going to reflect poorly on free code camp as a whole. <laughs> so <laughs> I have to kind of like loom in the background and like people just have to <laughs> take my coding skills for granted as opposed to, uh, you know, uh, so I don't want to uh, completely put my, my foot in my mouth when I'm like saying something technical and then have people think that that's the quality of curriculum because our curriculum is created by you know thousands of people around the world. Hmm. But anyway, that's just a quick tangent as to why I don't do live coding. That and it's completely nerve wracking. 
with the premiere functionality, I think you can get a lot of the same experience. But I can see why people people will always ask for more. It doesn't matter. Like, you know, even if you delivered like a perfect talk, mm -hmm. there would be people like, but you could have, you know, come out on a unicorn at the beginning <laughs> instead of just walking onto the stage. People will always ask for more. So I think people who are critical of you answering questions while a pre-recorded talk rolls, I think that those people are, you know, that's fine. I mean, it's always okay to ask for more, but just know that people will ask for more. And if you keep that in mind, then it doesn't seem like as big of a criticism. It's just something you expect. Definitely. Well, unfortunately, this week we are out of time, but I do want to say a huge thank you to you, Quincy, for joining us today. And also congratulations on running Lockdown Conf so seamlessly. It was an absolute pleasure to have you today. Also, thank you, Divya and Suze, for hosting, co-hosting the All Lady JS Parody podcast. I think we need more of these, definitely. As a quick note, if you haven't checked out Free Code Camp, we're going to leave a link in the show notes. They are incredible. They helped me achieve my dream job, which more news will be coming soon about that. And I hope to do a, a write-up for, for you, Quincy, to to help show people how they can use your platform, which is totally free, to get your dream job. And I think that's wonderful. So again, a huge thank you to all of you. And hopefully we see you soon. Awesome. It's great talking with you, Emma, Suze, Divya. Really appreciate you all inviting me on the show. We hope you enjoyed this episode of JS Party. Thanks again to our friend Quincy Larson for hopping on the show. Free Code Camp is my default answer when folks ask me how they can break into this industry. This episode was hosted by Emma, Divya, and Suze. It was produced by me, Jared Santo. All of our music is created by the Beat Freak, Breakmaster Cylinder. And we're brought to you by amazing people at Companies Who Get It. Thanks again to Rollbar, Gatsby, Linode, and Fastly for their support. Did you know we have a master feed? It's your one-stop shop for all of our podcasts. If you like JS Party, you'll love the changelog, brain science, and practical AI. Subscribe to master at changelog.com slash master or search changelog master feed in your favorite podcast app. You'll find us. That's all for now. We'll talk to you again next week. Emma, that was so slick. Yeah. Like, Quince is in the waiting room. Okay, we're going to have a guest now. This is so. You know, it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> that's awesome. So, I think that's really okay. fun. It's like, bring in a secret guest. Yeah, yeah. He's in the waiting room. Okay, how do I do waiting rooms? <laughs> uh, <laughs> who has the power to let them in? I do. Or I don't know. How do I? It should uh, be at the bottom. It's like, participants waiting room. Four. Uh, participants. Chat. More. Uh, they enabled the waiting room. Uh, mm, mm, mm. If you don't see the waiting room thing, then I'm confused. I just messaged him. I said, "Are you in the waiting room?" Jared's technologically struggling. <laughs> I... <laughs> <laughs> if you don't have a button, he might have left. That's why I said, "Can you hop on?" I wasn't looking. I was listening, but I wasn't looking. So maybe he, I missed him. Yeah, usually, a on. little tooltip pops up above like a new waiting room button and then you can admit them so if okay. you don't see that it's not your fault <laughs> i okay. promise okay it's very obvious when someone's in there okay oh he's typing hold on a second he says the room is still locked oh yeah I, let wow. me unlock okay i'll unlock it now hold on unlocking
This is fun. I love being tech support. You have unlocked the meeting. New participants can join. Okay, now you should be able to join. Ooh, don't share my screen. This is like uh, Mission Impossible when like there's like the timers running. You have to defuse the bomb before the hard stop. Right. Where? I don't think. uh, Invite. I don't think Tom Cruise ever said, "Hold on, I have a hard stop." Mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. resent that. Oh, the... admit! I just admitted him. Yeah, yeah, yay! I feel like a, I feel oh. like a medical professional. I just admitted him in from the waiting room. <laughs> hey. There he is, Quincy. Jared figured Hello. it out. <laughs> Can't hear you quite yet. It might be a Zoom setting. One <laughs> Doctor Evil look. Oh, connecting oh. the audio. There we go. All right. Yeah. I'm here. Yay. 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 Yay